I couldn't turn left. I've um I've alienated one of my hands, and um you know I won't go any further there. But <laughs> Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host Oscar Fuchs. Thanks for all the comments on last week's episode with Nini. Although I did get a little bit teased for mentioning Linkin Park and punk in the same breath. Yeah, that was dumb. If you were inspired to try your hand at producing your own screen print artwork, then the good news is that we've booked Nini's studio in Shanghai for the afternoon of Saturday, February the 29th. There'll be a handful of guests from season one, and there's room for around ten listeners to also join. I'll be posting more details on social media, so if you're interested, please watch out for that in the new year. We're on Mosaic of China on Instagram and Facebook, or add me on my WeChat Oscar one zero eight seven seven, and I'll add you to the group there. And so today's episode will be the last one of two thousand nineteen. In fact, it's the last one of the decade, I guess. So it's quite fitting that the episode being released today is the one with Simon Minetti. As you're listening to Simon reflect on his last ten years of choices and chances in China, take a moment to think about the forces that brought you to where you are today. You might reflect on your decade as a series of rational, linear decisions. Well, congratulations to you. Personally, I relate more to someone like Simon. Definitely some rational decision making, but a few irrational ones thrown in, and otherwise a combination of luck, fate, and sheer opportunism. A few quick notes about Simon's story. At one point, he uses the phrase QC. This means quality control. He mentions Chao Jidan, Shi Hong Shu. This is a standard Chinese dish of eggs and tomatoes. And he also mentions ordering Wai Mai. This just means ordering takeout food. And finally, there was an issue with my mic during this recording, but Simon's was fine, which is lucky because he is the one with the great voice. Well, thank you, Simon. I'm here with Simon Minetti. You're a former lawyer, and now you're a guru of China retail tech. Totally. Well, we'll get into that. But why don't we start straight away with your object? So, as people who are listening will know, I ask people to bring in one object that, in some way, encapsulates your life in China. So, talk me through what you've bought today. Yeah. So, on most university campuses in China, at least those that welcomed foreigners, there is a friendship store. And when I first came to China. In 2006, I was studying in BLCU in Beijing, and I bought my first China lamp, and what turned out to be my only China lamp. So to dispel the myth that everything in China is poorly made, this little beauty has been shining light on my endeavors for 13 years. Oh wow! And it has traveled. With me on four to five city and international moves, and somehow has been something that I've just not been able to let go of. Well, it's a nice link into your story, actually. So why don't you give us a, a little summary of where you've moved with this lamp? Yeah, sure. So first came to China in two thousand and six. This is immediately post uni, just to to date myself. Possibly the best year of my life,、um, at least until I met my wife. Well said.、Mm. And it was a very different China because China wasn't yet a thing,、right. as it is today. So much more adventurous. Yeah, and and a little bit less materially driven,、mm. right?、Um, it wasn't at that stage about better job prospects or, or anything. It actually kind of blew up. At least for me, I was probably just ignorant. But perhaps they all knew. They were mostly American, and they seemed to be <laughs> a little more on point on these sorts of things. <laughs> the backwater Aussie just sort of strolled up with his cork hat, sort of thing. This place is all right. 
But what I think bonded us further was the fact that I was able, we were able to get motorbikes. You bought your license upon the purchase of the motorbike. Um, I went for the biggest motorbike I could see, thinking that would be the safest. And I'll never forget riding straight off the curb, across the road and into the other curb and falling over. And kind of shyly, embarrassed, emasculated, turning around, laughing, got up, maneuvered my bike to run straight down the road and recommenced the journey. And uh, I tried to take a left again at this set of lights. And this time there was quite decent traffic straight down, straight down. So yeah, so we took many highway journeys out of Beijing, use it as as an escape to get up uh, around a place called uh, Miyun. And for a good six months, I couldn't turn left. If we had to take a left turn, I needed to be given a bit of notice because I was going to have to do a right turn little loop-de-loop in order to be able to join everybody. I've, um, I've alienated one of my hands and, um, you know, I won't go any further there. But <laughs> have you Next gained, question. Have you <laughs> gained the use of your left hand? Can you now turn left? Um, I can turn left. I haven't ridden a motorbike for a while. I, I put those days behind me, but uh, okay. I ride my bicycle a lot and I, yeah, I can turn left. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so that was my memory of Beijing. I then did a bit of a walkabout soul searching voyage around Europe and Australia, um, thinking I, I needed a gap year after really just having had a gap year. Um, and then I landed back in China in Ningbo. It was interesting. It was not by choice. I was uh, following a lady at the time who was at the the Nottingham University. So I moved straight into a Western compound. And I think we chose it primarily because it was directly opposite the metro. And apart from being there or on my way to the factory that I ended up working in, um, I can't say I saw much of Ningbo, which is, um, yeah, it's a shame. It was a manufacturing company that specialized in ultra high-end silk bedding. So with my nine months of Putonghua, it somehow qualified me to be an intermediary between the production staff and fielding all the the sales inquiries from the US. Uh, Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones were amongst our clients. And then I was responsible for, for checking the order and then most importantly doing the QC. And I felt like such a because I would come in and tell these guys who'd been doing this all their lives, um, you know those little arrows that you put on contracts to show where someone has to sign? Yeah. yeah. So I'd be coming along with those and sticking them on this uh, beautiful silk just because I saw like something that I thought might have been a a little thread or a blemish um, and said, sorry, you know, Mr. Wang, we're, we're going to have to see to that. And so they'd, I'd walk out and I felt as soon as I walked out, everyone would be rolling their eyes and just going like this has no idea what he's doing. And it's absolutely true and totally warranted. Um, But the other aspect of that experience uh, that was telling was that uh, I wasn't forward thinking enough each day to pack my own lunch. Everyone else brought their own food. uh, And I went to the only restaurant, air quotes don't really work on podcasts, but that's what I'm doing, um, which was a, a tin shed 
uh, with a, a gas blower and an open fridge where you could choose what food you wanted. Um, and I just got the Chao Jidan Si Hong Shi every day. Um, and I never got sick of it, to be honest. I have been able to eat it since. It was six RMB. I'll never forget that. Six RMB every day. But it was also seen, I was seen as like this VIP. Um, who would go and 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 eat at the restaurant as opposed to being with the people? And if I could go back, I would. I think I missed out on so many lessons by not being in the staff canteen and um, you know being with the people. So that was that was Ningbo. But I, I did jump to the, the the production experience. But and I'm basically here just to flush out everything that I regret. This is kind of a cathartic. I hope that's okay. Oh yeah, Oscar, this is a cathartic experience. Okay, you've, for me. Said, you've said that you've been a about three times. Look, it needs to get out of me. Um, I'm not proud of this, and and no one should be. But uh, when I first got to Ningbo, I actually I didn't find the production job immediately. I uh, found a job to teach, to facilitate a kindergarten because everyone knows what it's like, right? You you need to get that visa locked in, and they were absolutely lovely, as you'd imagine people who run a kindergarten to be. Though the principal was this ex-army dude, chain-smoking, crew-cut, the works. And on my first day, after they've just given me this this wonderful welcoming tour, everyone's super excited to have me there. Uh, they sit me down at a desk much like this one, and I took about three minutes to realize that this is absolutely not for me. So I stood up, I started walking down the stairs, I knew I'd have to get past the front, the guy at the front door. So I picked, did the classic, picked up my phone, nodded to him, started talking like I was ordering why my, got out the front door and just bolted. Oh wow! Yeah, and never ever looked back. I didn't think it through, which may may be a common theme today, but my visa was in processing. I hadn't received it yet, mm. so I then stressed for the next week that the former army guy would be there with his buddies waiting for me at the doors or behind the bushes of the visa collection point. And when I got there and got my visa, I I was so relieved that I didn't even think to check any of the details. Fast forward three weeks, I'm in Shanghai having a, a jolly thinking I'm, I'm the king and I'm trying to get into a, uh, a youth hostel and they're like, no, sorry, your visa expired three days ago. Oh. So that's where I also got my first and only visa warning out to the PSB. And always check people if you <laughs> over an employer while you they are getting your visa, they may not cancel it, but they may adjust the term of that visa. That is China 101. I mean, I'd like to feel sorry for you, but I think that was probably the just desserts, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that was your Ningbo experience. And this this is part of the reason I wanted to speak to you on this podcast, because you've you've had like three or four different rebirths in mm. China. Um, so what was your next renaissance? Mm. So Ningbo, then Shanghai. Right. So this was Shanghai chapter one, and this was prior to the road or the bridge that now spans the Bay of Hangzhou. Um, but at that time, we were spending almost every weekend on the train via Hangzhou to, to get to Shanghai. Oh, I think everyone who was part of that crew said, yeah, we have to end up here as quickly as possible. So 
then I started working for a uh, a branding agency, and and that was uh, eighteen months to two years of my life. Well, we called ourselves Half Pats then. I think even that term was um, too grandiose. We were locally hired entry level expats who were coming in and trying to make a career. And what I noticed was that I was going to have a very hard slog. So that's what led me to think, okay, I need hard skills. So you know, my interest led me to to law, which is what um, had me cross paths with the person that put us right. in touch. That was how we first met through Nestor, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, so Nestor was running um, a business that was facilitating foreign investors in China, helping them set up with their, their woofies and overcome all the different um, issues that arise in that process. And I should just jump in and explain that Woofie, for people who don't know, is a wholly owned foreign enterprise. Right? Mm, mm, mm. So that was really uh, a really, really interesting time um, and confirmed uh, my interest in, in going in, in that direction, in sort of a commercial corporate law direction. So that's when I ping-ponged between London, Hong Kong and London for the next uh, five years as I got my training contract. I went to Hong Kong, landed there. Uh, got to the firm. I didn't really think it through. Again, we're, we're, we're returning to that theme. But I, I got to them. I said, look, I'd, I'd like to transfer my training contract. It's in the UK at the moment. Can I? And they said, uh, no. And I said, okay, well, I'm already here and I'm having a great time. Can I just stay on and paralegal? And they let me. And that was uh, wonderful. Still, a lot of uh, my best mates in the world are there. But because... I had to return to London to formalize my legal path. Uh, I did so. But even while there, uh, I think I realized that it's very easy to um, lose yourself in the rat race. And I I did. I I was actually really enjoying it. Um, But then one day out of the blue had a mate of a mate ask me if I wanted to open up a business in a field that I had absolutely no interest or uh, experience in. Was it, was it beds and mattresses again? It wasn't beds and mattresses again. It, it was in shopper marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out of left field, but it was the fact that it was going to be in China and, and it was the chance to, to open up a business here. And so uh, within a few months, I was sort of flung in as the sole man on the ground in Shanghai. And And this is the chapter that I'm in now. So that was five years ago. Um, for anyone wondering, I, I've since run that business into the ground. Uh, it, it, it turns out that you shouldn't manage a business you don't understand oh, at all. Right. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. that you've been able to, to share this wisdom with us. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we can just edit everything before that because yeah. that, that, that's, that's all people really need to know. Yeah. There are many people who I think have a similar story. You kept saying that the through line was, you know, not thinking things through. Mm. But what I would call it is a sense of adventure mm. and a tenacity and also a humility to to do things where maybe it, there wasn't a direct progression. It was more of a sideways move, but something where it opens up your extra options. You know, you've said that there are things that you do regret, and I can obviously see why. Mm. <laughs> but look at you now, you know. Mm. I would say you're... you're you're in a place where you can look back and say, well, it all happened for a reason. Mm. Do you see any any advice that you would give particularly or is it, has it all been just going with the flow? 
I would say follow your heart, follow your interests, and you'll find these disparate points will be threaded together uh, somehow. That's one point. I think the other thing is you need to have some sort of common thread that's binding your experiences. And for me, there's a fascination with China and being in China that that has to drive you forward in in whatever you do. If if you're no if you no longer want to be here, I, I don't have any advice for you. I'm I'm on the other side and I don't know why. A lot of people ask me why. It's kind of like being a, when, when, when a partner says, why do you love me? And it's just, uh, I don't know, <laughs> like you're hot, uh, you make me laugh. I don't know what the equivalent is for China. I think it's that I'm always surprised and that I think that um, I guess it's kind of like a drug. You, you just get addicted to the optimism and the growth and the, um, the idea that, you know, things are going to get better here and, and in your life it's it's, it's infectious um and but i do i've spoken to some mates who are in my position now and about this and it's we do or i f- am starting to feel like a bit of a gambler you know and and you you start gambling with um your time right and and your cha- and the chips that are on the table are your sunk costs because you've already put a few years in but now you feel that you have to get a return for those years you've already invested in china and i think this is a critical point that uh people don't talk about enough um this idea that okay I, i've i've been here 10 years i need to walk away a multimillionaire and never have to work again right or i need to walk away with a really really cool tattoo um or you know or, or i need to know how to kung fu people um so that's definitely that that's a plaguing thought at the back of my mind like am i am i staying here now only because i feel like i should have walked away with more because, you know, you, you go back home and you're like, yeah, I've been in China for 10 years. Like, oh, you speak Chinese? Yeah, yeah I speak Chinese. That's amazing. You can do anything. You can do anything. Like, well, well okay. Well, give me some ideas. But what should I have done? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Whenever someone says that to me, I say, the only thing I can do is display my stupidity in a different language. <laughs> and that's, of right. course, I'm, I'm joking because it opens a window to the culture, which otherwise you, you certainly couldn't get. Yes. I think what you've done, especially when you left China to come back, I think that was a good move. But it really depends on what you were then looking to do. If I wanted to stay an employee and go in that route, then perhaps it was a good call. But if I want to come back and be an entrepreneur, then I would say it was a complete waste of time and you should stay here and learn to roll with the punches that that china throws and and to adapt to this incredibly fast moving market right because if you leave for too long you'll you'll lose your touch well i think the key the key take home is just follow your passion you know? mm. for me the most interesting people who are people who i meet in their 30s and 40s who are still saying oh well, i don't know what i'm going to do in the future mm. especially now you know when when careers they, they aren't as linear as they used to be. Mm. Uh, you know, I think China is, is just playing into to that global trend as well. Um, and again, as you say, the Chinese element, yes, it's a good baseline, but, you know, you have to have something on top. Mm. And I think I've seen that as well with Chinese people in China who used to get away with a lot just by speaking English. And mm, a lot of, it's true. You know, a lot of foreign employers would, would come here and just be wowed by their English and hire them mm. and then realize, actually, the person who spoke less good English actually is a better employee and then you know that is now also changing in the the other side mm. so I think what you know what you say I, I would say is a good lesson for you know people who want to come to China and make their, their career but also Chinese people who are going to go overseas too mm. and both need to buy a good lamp yes exactly and the lamp has been on the whole time making our sound studio all the more comfortable and cozy so thanks very much and and it's a good through way to talk about our second part mm. of our conversation 
Um, question number one. What is your favorite China-related fact? There are more English speakers in China than there are in the United States. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a good reminder of the diligence and the approach to education here and also a reflection of China's scale. Very good. Number two, do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Oh, uh, yeah. 可遇而不可求. So I think it's because as soon as I learned it, it came up, a I wanted to use it a lot. And even with expats. So, so what it means is this is something that can be encountered, but not be sought after or chased. So this is something you're just going to have to encounter in life and not try to seek it. And when I first learned it, I was like, oh, okay, there's an English equivalent to this. But then I realized when I tried to translate, there isn't. And it's such a, a, a beautiful concept. Does that speak to a certain fatalism that, that you find here and not in the West? Mm, I don't know. Um, number three, what's your favorite destination within China? Hong Kong. Oh, nice. Yeah. The assignment's given me a wry smile. So, yeah, I can just uh, visualize the parties you've had in Hong Kong. That's what Hong Kong Knowing for. nods. Yeah. Right. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? Uh, so the most would be the optimism. My wife is French. I've got Italian family. And, you know, I go back expecting to love it immediately. And I, I look around and everyone is just so grumpy and negative and... I immediately miss that Chinese optimism. Um, what would I? Uh, the internet, man. The the internet. Oh, I get God. so frustrated. I uh, yeah. These the few grey hairs that I have uh, are solely because of the internet not working. Is there anything that still mystifies you about life in China? Everything should mystify you about life in China. Um, you know. <laughs> There are guys who are here after like six months to a year and they know everything about China. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, and, then, and then you're here for like two to three years onwards and suddenly things are confusing. Five years on, you've got no idea what's going on at any one point in time. Uh, where's your favorite place to eat, drink or hang out? Mm, Alimentari. Nice. Yeah. Just for anyone who doesn't know Shanghai, this is, um, is it Italian? I guess it's Italian. Yes, it is. Right. And it just, it's like a delicatessen but you can it spills out onto the street and you can eat all kinds of cheese and hands and salamis yeah yeah exactly um what has been the best or worst purchase you've made in china mm, apart from the lamp um <laughs> that's the best right that's the best uh my bicycle mm. yeah okay but this is now important mm. what's your favorite wechat sticker how does one describe a wechat sticker so it's not creepy, but anything with like kids in it where they're doing, they're just so real, right? So kids doing a dance, kids doing fist pumps. Uh, I'm all for it. You know, I go authenticity, unbridled passion. <laughs> I've got three in my mind that I'll have to think about. I'll, I might let you choose. I couldn't choose amongst them. Okay, good. Uh, what is your go-to song to sing at KTV? Uh, probably the Bee Gees. I can only really sing falsetto. Brilliant. Um, so what is what is a? Uh, you can't tell by the way I use oh, my yeah. walk. I'm a woman's man. No time. What is it? What is that? Uh, stay alive. Stay alive. Sorry, just scream now. I just got so excited <laughs> with the microphone. So you can see it just comes out. Wow. Yeah. There you go. And finally, it's such a downer to end on this question after mm -hmm. that that answer. What other China-related media or sources of information do you rely on? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, China Tech Talk. China Tech Investor. Those guys are awesome. Tech Node, you're awesome. Very nice. Well, thank you so much, Simon. That's been great. And as you know, the final part of this interview is to ask you 
if you had someone who you'd nominate for me as the most interesting person you know in China at this point, is there one person's name that springs to mind? Many, um, but um, one person I'd like to see go through this is uh, Alex Duncan. Alex. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll have him on the next series. In the meantime, thank you so much, Simon. Awesome. Thank you. So the first thing to talk about is friendship stores or your Yishang Dian. Simon mentioned that this is where he bought his object, the lamp in Beijing. These are state-run stores, which initially only sold to foreigners. But as China has opened up over the last 30 years, most of these stores have closed down, and the ones that do still exist have no restrictions about who they can sell to. Simon also mentioned the PSB in the context of the one time he overstayed his visa. This is short for the Public Security Bureau. It's the local government office which deals with residents' registration and the hukou. For more on the hukou, listen to episode nine with Noah Sheldon, the filmmaker who made documentaries on workplaces in China. There are photos of all this that I've posted on social media, including a couple from Simon's motorbiking days in Beijing, and a very revealing one from his party days in Hong Kong. Simon is the one in the white outfit. In case you don't recognise him, you can see what chow jidan shi hong shu looks like. It's the dish of eggs and tomatoes that Simon lived off in the factory in Ningbo. And I've also posted some details of the Hangzhou Bay Bridge, which nowadays links Ningbo and Shanghai. And there's a bunch of other photos too. And that's it for the decade. If you want to give me a Christmas present this year, then please do me a big favor and share the podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling especially kind, then please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a comment or a rating. It really does help the project along. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs. Extra editing support from Milo De Prieto. Artwork by Denny Newell and China support from Alston Gong. Thank you truly for all your support since August. I do really mean that. And if you celebrate Christmas, then Merry Christmas to you. And I'll see you back in mid-January. <laughs> <laughs>